Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am very excited with my guest today. Welcome, Sushana. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think this is going to be a great one. I'm going to let Shoshana introduce herself, but we are very excited to talk about the ways that intuition plays in our businesses, as well as our self-care and our mental health, and really 360 degrees of being a woman in business, especially those of you who are soloists like I am, where there is very little light between my professional and my personal lives. And so this conversation will be applicable to many facets of our lives. So Shoshana, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, I'm Shoshana French. I am the founder of Simple Spirit. It is a company that provides training and development for the practical application of intuition for women. We do work with men too, and mostly in use of business. But if like what you just said, 360 degrees, same for me, Intuition is applicable for every area of life. And if intuition is a funny word for people, how I think of it is we're just turning up the volume of our ability to trust ourselves and restoring authority for our choices internally versus externally. So that's what I do. Well, I love that because one of my first questions was going to be like, you know, what exactly is intuition? I, you know, work with intellectual property and I feel like there's some parallels there where with intellectual property, most people are aware of it. They know it's important. <laughs> they kind of get what it is, <laughs> but they're not sure how to harness it. And I'm guessing that you have that same experience when you're working with people. It's so funny. I bet when you say it to people, intellectual property, they're like, wait, what? Oh yeah. Intellectual property. That's exactly what happens when I say intuition. So yeah. it is like exactly a parallel. That's funny. I didn't think about that. So I always like to define intuition simply, which is intuition is a direct way of knowing or understanding something without any prior experience or knowledge. That's not very woo-woo. No. And here's the funny part is that I, as a human being, like my personal identity, very, very woo, super woo. But Mm -hmm. what I found is that if I want more people to be trusting themselves and applying this gift that we have, I have to find a way to talk about it that fits for all kinds of people, no matter what their background is or where they're from or even their religion. And so I just really worked on understanding what I would call just the basic mechanics of how it works. So simple, practical, that's me. (laughs) Simple spirit. So there you go. Yeah. So do people kind of self-select into your definition of intuition or do you have to educate them? Like where are they coming from? I find that people fall into a few different categories. So I have the people I call the full woo people Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, well, that's a really practical definition. And then (laughs) they tell me their definition, which is like angels and like the spirit. And they say all that stuff. And I'm like, that totally fits too. If that's your definition, Mm -hmm. use it. And then I have the people I like to call the closet woo people that like on their desk, they have like a motivational calendar and maybe a little crystal next to it. And people who come into their office, like, that's such a pretty rock. And they're like, yes, isn't it? But it's a rose quartz that they know helps them be gentler with people who get on their nerves. (laughs) But they don't, the people who come in their office don't know that. Those are my closet woo. For them, they love a more practical definition. They don't have to be educated on it. They appreciate it because now they have access in their closet woo world. Like most of the people I work with are kind of closet woo people. I work with lawyers and real estate agents and people that, on the outside, 
are very connected and like compassionate and loving people, but they're not saging people as they walk into their office. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They know about saging, but they're not doing I don't know what sage explain that. Okay. I'll talk about that in a second. It's I'm using a term that is, it's an indigenous practice. What I mean is burning a bundle of herbs to clear people's energy. The actual burning of sage is indigenous, but to quite a few tribes in the North America. However, from my background and my people come from the Celtic roots from Ireland and Wales and like that. And they just do a bundle of herbs like lavender and that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's what it is. And then I have my third category of people. And those people are super skeptical. Mm -hmm. They are not closet woo. They are not woo at all. And they're my like engineers, insurance agents, when I do work in corporate, and they typically have to be educated until they go, oh, I've had that experience before. You're calling that intuition. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've met very, very rarely do I meet people who are like, I don't understand what you're saying at all. I don't know what that is. And moreover, I think it's total crap. I've met very few people like that. Mm -hmm. Mostly people are like, oh, like, I don't know that you can teach people that like a skill. I've had those conversations, but in general, they don't have to do that much education, just enough that people can pull it to themselves and it makes sense to them. Can you give us an example of one of those insurance agents or realtors that you had to like kind of show them that they already (laughs) had some intuition that they didn't recognize? So I worked with a CEO. Those tend to be already pretty visionary people. And she was someone who was like curious in general in life. However, pretty practical. Her background was in behavioral science and business. And so she's like bottom line, strategic in her thinking. And when we started talking about intuition, she was, she had a company and she had five employees and her practice every morning was to walk around and talk to all five employees. And then all of a sudden her business grew like wildly fast in, she went from five employees to 45 and there was no way that she could walk to every single person. They're just like, there was no humanly possible way. And that's when she found me. She said, I've heard that you work with people who are trying to use the old ways of doing things and it's not working. So I need a new way. And we started with that. And she was like, you want me to do what? And I was like, I want you to sit at your desk in the morning and ask your business where it needs your attention today. And she was like, that literally makes no sense. Like I'm talking to my business. What are you talking about? (laughs) And I just had her do it over and over and over and over again. And like little by little, she built trust like anything, probably the conversations you have with people about building something that's scalable versus a side hustle. In the beginning, they're like, no, you don't understand. I have to have this make me money so I can pay my bills. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yes, and yes, and. And that's what I told her. Yes, you should talk to your employees. You love them. You're so grateful for them. And try this. So I worked with her for six months. Mm -hmm. About three or four months after that, she messages me this wild story. Sitting at her desk, she says, you know, where does my business need my attention today? She owned a technology company. One of her call room people popped in her head. His name is Jose. And she was like, that's weird. But now by now she's nine months into practice. So she immediately calls his supervisor. He goes, that's so funny that you call me about Jose. He's been out of the office for seven days, really sick. But as soon as she heard that, she got this terrible feeling in her stomach again, trusting. And so she said, could you just check on him for me? When the guy checked on him, he saw that for those seven days, Jose had been logging in to the technology every single day, even though he was homesick and he'd been downloading information, all this data. (laughs) And so they caught it before a data leak. They were Mm -hmm. able to let him go Mm -hmm. and protect the company. Mm -hmm. She said, all right. She's like, do that thing you do and yoga now and all the, like, if you have a woo thing now she does it, Mm -hmm. but that moment wouldn't have happened if she didn't fully buy in. So that's an example of the transformation that people go through when they start to trust their own inner authority and wisdom. Like, I'm just going to trust something is not right. And she was 100% correct. That is interesting. That, well, kind of relating it to me in the way that I've thought about intuition traditionally is something akin to gut instinct. Is that the right way to think about it? That's kind of the first question. And then the second piece is the reason I have never quite been able to lean into intuition or gut is I never can tell if it is, let's say, just do it and you know, let it go. 
is that just letting resistance get the better of me? Or am I just being lazy because I don't want to go through the grind? Or is it literally, I understand somewhere that it's something to let go of. I can't quite figure out how to balance those. I love the combination of those two questions is smart. It tells me you thought quite a bit about this. <laughs> like before we even talked, yep. before I was even going <laughs> to yes. come on, you've been thinking about this. I love that. It's not a simple question. So I'm going to do my best to be concise. However, I tend to be not. So I'll do my best. So gut instinct is only one of the ways that our body translates intuitive communication when we are using our intuition. To me, the simplest answer is when you're trying to figure something out, like you're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to avoid making a mistake, or you're trying to do something right, those kind of three situations put you from a space of intuition into data, like your brain. The thing I always remember is our brains are programmed or wired to have negative bias. We automatically think that thing we're having this idea about is not going to work. We automatically think that weird feeling we have in our gut about this date we're about to go on, we override it because we're being too picky. All these things that, you know, in our brain make us not listen. So to me, the question is, when you are in the space to be curious, not about answers, fixing things, problems, avoiding making a mistake, what should I do? But instead you're in this place of, okay, I want to launch this thing. Is that really in alignment with the purpose of why I started my business? Mm -hmm. That's a question for intuition because where intuition gets to like really shine, where our inner wisdom gets to shine are those questions about possibility and reaching into things we don't already know. Mm, okay. Mm. So to me, what I often say is if you get, let's say a gut instinct about something and then you're resisting it, you're like, mm -mm. mostly that's probably either negative bias or the way that you're engaging with your intuition is you're trying to figure something out. And intuition is all about curiosity, mm. exploration, discovery. Mm. Like that's kind of the direction it goes. It's imagination. I think of the way that children learn just pure curiosity and everything is really interesting. And then they have like little discoveries and the discoveries they're having, we already know. So it doesn't seem very wondrous to us. We're like, yes, that's an ant. Good job. However, it is also how we learn too. And when we're tapped into our intuition, that discovery is the direction. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. Part number two, it's just trust. It's a muscle. Mm -hmm. And so unless you practice using your intuition and building that muscle, building the trust in it about stuff that feels lower risk, you are not going to use it for higher risk things. You're just not going to. Mm -hmm. Like if you're trying to quit your job and start a business, mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend starting there. If you're trying to build, you know, your trust and your intuition, I would start with stuff like which of these vitamin B supplements is the right one for my body. That's a little lower risk or mm -hmm. My GPS says to go right, but my body is telling me to go left. Low risk. I can tell you I get that one wrong every time, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> About the left to right. <laughs> Are you thinking like, which way is going to have me avoid the traffic? Yes, yes. yes. I, I that's see not it. intuition. That's trying to figure out a problem or avoid making a mistake. That's why, right? That's why. If you were like, ooh, I wonder which way will be most fun. Ooh, let's go to the right. I mean, I don't even know. That was oh, that's a good way to think of it. I do make choices sometimes that way where I can avoid a highway and go the back way. And, okay. Like what will be the prettier way? And then wild stuff happens when we listen to our intuition. We want it to be really logical. Should I open up a new brick and mortar store? You know, I've got one in Baltimore. Should I open it in D.C.? And then we're like listening to the should, which is trying to figure something out and get an answer. And then we take action on that. And then we're like, see, intuition doesn't work. That didn't work out. And it was like, well, should based on what? That's a pretty broad question based on growing and making more money, based on the kind of lifestyle that you want, based on the future of, 
you know, franchise. I don't know. It just all depends on your intuition listens to what you're curious about. If you're trying to figure something out, you're not leaving space for that openness that is required for intuition to come in is we have to let go of what we know, the right way to do things like our fear about making a mistake. For example, hard and fast rules. I don't speak for free, right? All entrepreneurs who have some subject matter expertise are like, I don't do that. However, I got invited once to come and speak in DC on a panel. And I was like, I'd have to pay to fly because I don't live there. I live in Denver. And I was like, you know what? That sounds kind of fun. Yes. And then I got a second call from someone else who was a digital coach for Google. And she said, hey, do you want to come and do a talk like a fireside chat at Google? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but then I had like two opportunities. Did I get paid for them? No, not in the immediate. But my intuition said yes. Mm-hmm. What that has produced is wild. Like that is a 30 minute conversation over tea kind of wild, mm-hmm. but that's how intuition works. It's not linear. So that's where our brains get a little bit funny about it is I want it to be linear. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a tough one. So what I'm hearing is that it's really about kind of opening ourselves mm-hmm. and being open to what may be speaking to us as a yeah. Okay. All right. That's very interesting. We're talking to a group of you know B2B experts. So their clients are corporations. Let's say they get used to using intuition internally. Is that something that they would share with their clients as part of their process? No, I think you have to learn how to translate. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on how your intuition works. There's different ways to translate. So for people who are more gut instinct kind of people, I think a good translation is something about this just doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. I need some data to back it up. But could you give me a moment to just look at the numbers again? Because it just doesn't quite feel right. That translates even in, I worked with a shipping and logistics company. Talk about, it was all engineers. If you're someone who knows things, like some people just know things and answer Mm -hmm. sort of pops in their head. You have to translate it. You have to go, you know, I had a different idea about that. Do you mind if I share it? Mm -hmm. Some people hear It's sort of like an internal conversation. They hear something. That's where it lands in their intuitive translation. And you can say something like, "Mm, you know, in what you're saying, I hear something different. Can I share it with you? And then the last is a sense like you see images or like movie in your head or people's faces, that kind of thing. Kind of like the woman I talked about earlier, Kate, Mm -hmm. the one who owned the company. When you see stuff, you can say something like, this doesn't quite look right to me. Could we look at it again? Or mm-hmm. I was seeing something different. Can I share with you what I saw? That does not sound woo at all. What I have found is instead of saying the word intuition, you can use words like intuitive. Like this isn't a very intuitive solution. I have a more intuitive solution. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that very subtle shift, mm-hmm. but it matters. So right. to answer your initial question, no, I don't think you have to tell your Mm -hmm. client, that your internal process in your team is intuition. I work with an organization, Black Girl Ventures in DC, and I have been training and working with the team for six months. Every time she's interviewed, and she's interviewed all over, when people say, how have you grown your organization in six years to this multi-million dollar organization? She'll say, I use my intuition. Mm -hmm. She says Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. but I think because people know her as a visionary leader and Mm -hmm. a disruptor, that really works for her. Some of her organizations who fund her organization are more corporate things, but even they like Google, Amazon, Experian, Nike, NBA Mm -hmm. Foundation, that kind of stuff. I think they're kind of like ones that are okay with things that are edgy, but Mm -hmm. this shipping and logistics company, no, definitely not. When I worked with with an organization that was all lawyers, nope, definitely not. So I found different ways to translate it it's still true. Mm-hmm. I was still saying like, mm, you know, in that meeting, I was hearing everybody sharing and something just came to me. And I'd love to share that because I think it will make a difference in, do we care where intuition comes from? Mm, not really. No. So do we have to tell them that's what's happening? Mm, not really. Because <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. how can you explain how your brain makes conclusions anyway? So right. it's all the same thing over there in corporate land. So that's my perspective. Because right. I care about the result and not Intuition is an input, right? And we don't sell inputs. We sell outcomes, uh, 100%. Right? Yeah. That was such yeah. a smart way to say it. Yeah. Exactly. 
But for your Black Girl Ventures client, I mean, that's her brand now. So I guess maybe that's why for that to be. Yeah. If your brand is a disruptor, and for me, I can get away with stuff because my brand is a little bit edgier, simple spirit. What does that mean? Even when I get hired <laughs> in, <laughs> and I just say spirit is like the energy of something. It's like the experience you have of other people. And simple is just what you think it is. Like all the ways we complicate things, it's completely unnecessary. So it's about having the energy and spirit of an experience be easy. That's what simple spirit means. That's my non-woo way of explaining it. And people are like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> Someday in the future, it will probably be full woo. But right now I've been open for 18 years. And so in this current iteration of the company, it's very practical, which I love because it gives me a chance to use that part of who I am versus my only woo part, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that brings us to how you got into the business of intuition, as well as, you know, you've described like three very different avatars, I'd say, of clients, but they must have some similar pains if they're all coming to you. So yeah. where's the intersection among those kind of three buckets of clients? And in how did you find this work? Originally, 18 years ago, I started it because I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I keep having craptastic job after craptastic job. I want something new. I want something different. And I started this business in like a coaching group that I was in. She was like, everybody's starting a business. So I started this business. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I knew how to do was do intuitive sessions with people, like readings, like for lack of a better word. So I did that with people. And then how business goes, opportunities came to me and people asked me if I could do things that I wasn't already doing. And then I was like, yeah, I can do that too. And then kind of made it up on the fly, like all entrepreneurs do and have done that over and over and over again. So <laughs> about once every three to five years, everything kind of shifts and changes. So right now we're in like year two of the big shift and change that occurred mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And at the end of 2020, when things really changed in my business, mm -hmm. It was like, okay, it's time to transition. So I love the question about intersectionality. Where do these people mm. intersect? What I would say is that whether you work in corporate, like a very large company, or you work in a small company, or you're an entrepreneur and you have no employees, all kinds of people, we all deal with doubt. We all deal with second guessing and we all deal with analysis paralysis because no matter who you are, and obviously the number of decisions increases, the more people you have in your life and the larger of leadership role that you have. So like if you're a mom, plus you run the thing at your community center, plus you own a business, plus you are the HOA, pre like however many more things you take on means you have to make more decisions. And people who make fast decisions, but make mistakes in those decisions are in the same boat as people who don't make any, honestly, mm -hmm. it's the same experience. So the yeah. people I work with who are very skeptical, make very fast decisions based on data, data sometimes lies because mm -hmm. who collected the data, right? Mm -hmm. What was the incentive for those numbers agendas? Hello. Right. And then the people who are making decisions more based on like, Oh, I want to make the right decision. I don't want to only be focused on data. I'm making the decision about people. And then they just get stuck in like the machination of trying to make all the same thing. It all leads to a sense of distrust. And then it leads people to go outside of themselves to get help. Mm -hmm. And I have seen it on every level of leadership. Mm -hmm. I work with politicians. I work with NFL coaches. I've worked with people who are both million dollar founders and billion dollar founders. It's all actually the same thing because it's a shared human experience, which is I keep messing this up. I need to find someone who knows better than me. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, if you're in the position of not trusting yourself, that then puts you in kind of a vulnerable position when you look for an expert outside of yourself. Well-meaning, you hire an expert who has their own agenda, not mm -hmm. yours. It often means that you're not moving in the direction you want to move. So I've had that same experience, even as someone who's a professional intuitive who does this for a living, I sometimes make decisions in hiring contractors to hire people I really like. Mm -hmm. Just I really like them. And unfortunately, liking is not a great decision maker for a CPA. That's all mm -hmm. I'm going to say about that <laughs> or anything for that matter. Mm -hmm. Like there are other 
you know, points of interest or (laughs) importance that I should be paying attention to. So that's where they intersect is when you are restored to trusting yourself, seeing the authority for your decisions restored here, then when you look to hire an expert, you're still using your inner authority. Mm -hmm. You're using your intuition to make a choice that is in alignment with you. So that's how I end up working with such different kinds of people is that everybody has, it's a human experience. We all Mm -hmm. have that experience of self-doubt, past mistakes that we're trying to avoid making, analysis paralysis, because we're trying to do the right thing. And the one that happens for just about every woman I work with, which is they're considering too many people when they make decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, how is this going to affect everyone Mm -hmm. versus does this feel right to me? And then I can sort out how this will affect others. Mm -hmm. But especially, especially in business. I mean, oh my gosh, it happens all the time. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. I I can honestly relate to you. I've had to make a a number of decisions, even some bet the business decisions where it's easy to kind of really get bogged down and worry about obviously making the right decisions. So what inputs are the right ones and whose advice do you take and whose do you kind of just sift through? And okay, that's very interesting. Well, on the personal side, I saw it in your Instagram, making the connection between intuition and self-care. So tell me how that shows up. Well, first, I always like to say, I wanted to find self-care a little bit differently because I think people, I was just saying this to a client the other day, she's having just a rough time in life. Mm -hmm. Husband is sick with cancer. She lost her mom three months before her husband was diagnosed. This was last year. So she's just like, for her in the circumstances of life she's in, when we talk about self-care, she's like, well, I'm making sure I'm eating enough food and getting sleep. And to me, I think, because we've been trained as women to take care of other people, we think that's what self-care is. So I invite people listening right now to consider that the basic needs being met is actually not (laughs) self-care. It's like, like, hopefully you see that your basic needs being met is like a non-negotiable. I define it as what you need to dump out, like when we're too full and what you need to fill up. And those are different things. So if you're totally depleted, you need stuff to fill you up. If you are just too full, like too many decisions, too many meetings, too many stressful situations, you're like, then you need something to dump you out. So I just want to say that first, because I don't know that everybody relates to self-care in that way. And Mm -hmm. when I work with women who are high up either in the corporate ladder or have very, very busy, successful organizations they themselves are the founders of, they don't always do a great job of the kind of self-care that dumps them out or fills them up. So in saying that, that's the first place I always look is intuitively, I just check in with myself. Do I feel depleted or do I feel too full? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel both at the same time, let's right. be honest, because life gets crazy. So it just depends. And then from there, rather than having a prescribed list of things that I should do, notice the S word, I just go, okay, got it. In this moment, what would actually fill my cup? What would fill me up? And some days the thought of calling a friend is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to laugh. We're going to have a lot of fun. That will be awesome. And then some days that sounds more depletive. That will be like, oh my God, I can't listen to somebody else's breakdowns right now. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on the day. And then in those times, I'm like, what would fill me up? Oh, I know what would fill me up a bath or going, sitting in the hot tub in our backyard or making art. Like, I do this thing called Zentangle. I love it. Look up Zentangle, people. It's so fun. And then the times when I'm too full and I need to dump out, that might look like the self-care that some people talk about, calling my therapist. I have a coach, talking to my coach, like scheduling an extra thing, giving myself a moment to focus all of my time, energy, and attention on something that is not figuring things out. That does a good job for me of mm. emptying me out. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. So. I have books that teach me things and make me think. And then I have books that are just like mindless. Those are different. You know, if I feel like I need to fill myself up, that's a different book I reach for than when I feel Mm -hmm. totally depleted. So Mm -hmm. that's my answer to that question. Intuition can guide me for myself. I'm not a feeler. So it's not what feels right to me. I keep saying that, like what feels Mm -hmm. right in your body. I'm not a feeler. I'm married to a feeler. He feels things. I don't. I'm more like that sounds right or that looks right to me. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they just know. So Mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. We all translate a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I needed this under the 2022 where I felt completely depleted. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the last two weeks of the year where I thought, you know, I'm going to have this chance. I don't know. I turned out I did neither rest or be productive because I couldn't figure out what I was doing and I didn't do either. And it was after it where someone mentioned the cell phone analogy where it's one thing to unplug. So that's part one is unplugging, but two is recharging. Like it's not enough. If you haven't recharged, it doesn't matter. It's still empty at the end. And that's how I unfortunately ended 2022 because I forgot the recharge part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I have decided that my phrase of the year is going to be do less better. And I am actively figuring out what I can just drop, like what I cannot do, whether it's at home or with my business and just like how to get more both quality and intimacy and understanding, like all those things, competencies deeper without being so kind of everywhere. And it feels good. I mean, I'm not work in progress, obviously. Yeah. You know, just the the intention, it makes me hopeful. (laughs) What do you like to do? I'm just curious, because I always like to ask, because then I hear different stuff. What do you like to do? I love the unplug versus recharge. Mm. That's cool. I wrote that down. I really like that. What do you like to do to recharge? What recharges you? Being in nature, it used to be a lot of gardening. I have a little bit of land here. Right now, it's kind of not the best time of year for it, but you know, you can do it any time of year, hiking and the drives. I do love nice, beautiful long drive as well. And I like to go mind emptying, kind of the mindless part. I am a big audiobook person. And then I also like to just take myself to the movies as well. Like what you just said, all the things you mentioned, I think this is important for people who listen to your show. All the things you mentioned are solitary. And I think that's valuable for people to understand. You know, people throw around the word introvert and extrovert a lot. And even someone who is really extroverted like me, I still require solitary time and recharge time. And so... I love that. And I didn't mention it in the list of things I said, but nature is such a thing for me, for sure. Same, same. Mm-hmm. In Colorado right now, there is no gardening happening. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's like ground is hard frozen, but <laughs> it's like 26 degrees outside today. But gardening for me is also a big thing. And this time of year, I have a hard time getting outside because it's so cold, but I do love nature. I'm like, I have a lot of plants in my office very intentionally. So I feel a little bit like there's green in here, even though it's like brown and gray outside. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Well, this is the hourly to exit podcast. So we want to like tie intuition and the way that you work with your clients with building a business that is scalable and that hopefully they can sell someday. So how does the work that you do tie in to helping people on that hourly to exit journey? I would say some of it is letting yourself be guided towards experts like you who know about how to move beyond IP, who know about, oh, wow, I'm not just trying to become a subject matter expert and get my corner of the market, but instead think of my subject matter expertise as intellectual property that I can then build into something that can be sold. So that's like number one, trust your intuition to lead you towards podcasts, books, and people, experts, people like Aaron, who know things that you don't know that you feel attracted towards. Like, Ooh, I felt attracted when I read your stuff. And I was like, Oh, I want to be in her energy because she's got stuff to teach. So I want to say that first. And then the second is, I'm just going to share my own journey from like subject matter expertise to business owner. It's a big leap for me. It's a big leap. The business model that I learned from was hourly. You sell your time and you try to accumulate as many of those chunks of time with people, get people to really like you. They tell all of their friends, almost like a hairstylist type of service-based business. And then I noticed that at the rate I was going, I would reach the ceiling of my time for money. So I had to do one of two things. I had to charge more or I had to change the format in which I was offering. And that was kind of the first leap to thinking about scalability Mm -hmm. is I changed my offer. Mm -hmm. So it went from single one-on-ones to now I have coaching programs 
I hate the phrase high ticket offer, whatever, but it was like, <laughs> I went from, you know, service-based single to, okay, now I have you have leverage. leverage. Yes. yes. Thank you. That's <laughs> not scalability, right? For me, it was like, I'm scaling my time, but still time. <laughs> All right. And then about two or three years ago, I was on a podcast and the guy was talking to me about scaling. And the thing that had me say yes to being on his podcast was again, intrigued by his energy and it blew my mind. So I know this is mostly B2B, but still probably there's people who are service-based folks listening. Mm -hmm. Listen to my words. I had my mind blown and it was a big deal. He said, you don't think of your expertise as an expertise that other people could use. You only think of it as yours and mm -hmm. that you're sharing it with other people. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on a second. You're going to say that again slow because I didn't catch on to that. And so it got me to start thinking about what inside of what I offer is actually can be offered without me present. Mm -hmm. And then there are all a whole bunch of models inside of that. So then I started thinking about it. So I've been thinking about this now for almost three years. So I have a test online called the intuitive blueprint test. Do I license that test to other people and create a thing? That's one thing. Or do I certify people who work under me? So they work for my company and they offer what I offer. Or do I certify people and they don't work for me? They just pay for the certification. For myself, I've been looking at the feasibility of each of those kind of one at a time and doing it in a way that makes sense. And still for me, holds true to my purpose on the planet, which is having other people be more intuitive and trusting themselves. Because when people are more in touch with themselves, they're actually kinder and they're more present. And then they're out in the world doing the things that like their vision being fulfilled and making the difference they want to make. Not to name drop her a third time in your podcast, but I'm really excited because my friend Omi, who I worked with, she testified in front of Congress yesterday mm -hmm. about the redefinition of people who could be investors, like changing mm -hmm. that definition so that other people, middle-class folks can become investors in things and mm -hmm. bridge that wealth gap and right. create generational wealth. So her- so Changing the accredited investor. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. So she testified on Congress about changing mm -hmm. that. And so she was on a panel, I think with like six other people mm -hmm. also testified too, but that opportunity came from her trusting her intuition and building relationships with people that she was drawn to, not because intellectually she knew they were a good fit, but because she knew intuitively, those were a way of building a billion dollar network. And that's the title of her book. So it's like, for me, that's what's possible. So I've been thinking about which of those three things not could make me the most money, but could help me stay most true to my vision in the world. And it's creating a certification program. So I'm in process for that right now. And I'm focusing mm -hmm. on therapists first because they're the ones who've been asking for it. Mm -hmm. People in like the behavioral science world, trusting their intuition, but also training their patients how to trust their intuition and like understanding how mental illness really affects that and trauma affects that. So that for me is the journey. So that's, that's how I got here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And all I know, and hopefully this lands for the people who listen, is that your intellectual property that you've been thinking about or your subject matter expertise is just like two steps away from you thinking about it as actual intellectual property mm -hmm. and looking at how you could leverage it and scale it, right? So like, is it a book that is a great way to leverage it? And then you sell your book or you find people to do book clubs with your book or you create a training manual from your book. I mean, there's so many ways, so mm -hmm. many ways. But it's, again, trusting your own inner voice telling you what way of scaling is not the thing that is going to make the most money. If that's your goal, cool. Mm -hmm. But if you're an entrepreneur, you have a passion for something. And if you want your passion to still be present when you scale, that's how your intuition could help guide you to which option is the most aligned option. And that's what I did. So it's going to take some time. I won't lie. Scaling is not a small thing. So it's not a fast process. Mm -hmm. Just just want to be real about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said so many things in there that I wanted to circle back on. One is, you know, you're, of course, talking my language about uh, licensing your intellectual property to other people in order to grow your business. But going back to the podcast that you talked about a couple of years ago about what you have in your business that you're just using without thinking about the value it can have to other people. And, you know, I have 
a little thing I call, you know, is there a Rembrandt in your attic? Where we take people through the process of figuring out, you know, what is in there that you're undervaluing and just not even recognizing how valuable it is and hidden thing in the attic that you don't realize you have all that value in there. And those are typically things that are internal, things that you're using internally to deliver value to your clients, Mm. but that you could turn it into something that could be separately monetized as opposed to just you delivering services using it, similar to the licensing or the certification process. And then as far as using your intuition to scale in a way that's authentic or true to you is consistent with what we want to do here, which is to get more wealth in the hands of women because of the value that they bring to their communities and to their families when they have more wealth. And that could be either in terms of, you know, the end game of what the numbers, the money that they have that they can then distribute around, but it can also be the way that they grow and that they're thinking about those things as they're making decisions about what they're doing and how they grow impacts. Maybe they do it in a way that they can share their expertise with more people because they Mm -hmm. do it in a way that's easier to access for more people. Or maybe they're doing it in a way that just maximizes their profits so that they can distribute more of it to those in need. So all those things are super important. Thank you for sharing those. So it sounds like you may be setting up your business to sell it someday. Is that That's a new thought. Uh, So every year I go to a mastermind and I was in one this year in January. Mm -hmm. I call it my brain trust. These are smart entrepreneur people in really different industries. And someone said, okay, like we know you're the subject matter expert on practical intuition. Like there's no question of it. You've done your work over the last, you know, six or seven years. And people think of you when they think of practical intuition, but Uh we really can see a possibility for you switching from that subject matter expertise and expert, which is very focused on how do I leverage my expertise to grow my business, but from more like a revenue perspective Mm -hmm. into being a business owner. That's like a different mindset. So I have friends who are serial entrepreneurs because they start businesses. The moment they start it, they have in mind that they're going to sell it Mm -hmm. and they build it really differently. Right. You do. So 18 years into business, I'm like thinking about things that probably would have been real helpful to think about, you know, (laughs) 10 years ago, but I didn't think about it. It was like, I need to make enough money because that's how I related my business. Like I need to make enough money to cover what I need to cover in my expenses. And then it really started doing well and then did better than that. And then better than that. And it was like, oh, well, I want to change my lifestyle. I want to create other streams of income but I still wasn't in the place of, oh, you could sell it. So mm-hmm. when I more seriously begin to entertain the certification program, the thought I had was like, there's different models even of that. Mm. Am I required to certify people? I was like, nope, because that is clunky. <laughs> what would be smarter is to train trainers yes, and have them train. So I'm not required mm-hmm. because I've got one book almost done and four outlines written for others. Cause this is like, my brain has got some ideas. It's got some ideas. I'm like, oh, let's do this. All my clients teach me stuff. And then I want to write about what I learn and working with them. So it's how my brain, but I was like, well, even having them train, I can't always rely on other people to be trainers either. So I started talking to other entrepreneurs, other business owners who've done this successfully. Mm-hmm. And so I've talked to three or four and I've got three or four more kind of on the books to chat with more. I'm gathering information, but What I landed on is online modules Mm -hmm. mixed with these trainers who can coach people along the way. But eventually, even the coaching they've done after a year of them doing it will have more information. And then those will become modules and manuals and all of Mm -hmm. that. So that in three to five years, that's kind of my plan. In three to five years from now, Simple Spirit, this business that has held my IP around practical intuition Mm -hmm. and this certification program in intuitive decision-making, it will be poised with all of this content is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? Like all of the stuff to back up the IP, Mm -hmm. like usable stuff that then will be juicy, yummy to someone. And then maybe they'll want to add it to their already existing training people. Mm -hmm. It probably will go to people who do corporate like coaching or executive coaching or that kind of thing, or life coaching people, a life coaching company, 
probably not a woo-woo spiritual kind of thing. I don't think it would go that way, but you never know. Mm-hmm. I am not attached to the end result, but now I have in my mind three to five years. So now thinking from my business owner brain, which is new and she's a baby because she is just trying this thing out. She's like Bambi when Bambi tried to walk and then fell on the ice. That's a little bit how it's going. I'm thinking now, okay, so how do we set the business up also that I'm not required to run it either? Mm-hmm. In December, I hired an operations manager mm-hmm. and I've had VAs and EAs, but I've never had an operations manager. It is freaking glorious. It is glorious. It's the best thing ever. It's so awesome. And so her job, like we created focuses for every quarter this year. Cause really like for me, my word, I like your phrase, my word this year, it was do less better. Yes. Uh I love that. Mine is sacred joy. Uh So for me, what is joyful doesn't mean not being busy because I love what I do, but it means being smarter Mm. about what I'm doing. And so that's this first quarter is all about, you know, what are the structures that are leading us towards, I need to be able to show in the numbers in the company, what lines of products Mm. make money. So if someone was looking at buying the business, they go, what's the one time, three time, five time, because that determines what I could sell it for. So absolutely starting to think from there. Like yeah. I said, it's you are, you are, you are definitely. <laughs> but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, I like to tell people that who if they may be at the beginning of the journey and they feel like selling is just like way out there, that the same things that will be attractive to a buyer that will help you sell the business are the things that will help you scale it now. So putting those things in place are the same things that will help you grow smartly while you're still running the business and set you up for the sale when you're ready for it. So it's not a someday maybe thing. It's a today thing to have the most efficiently run, most profitable business. So this is good. I love that. Things that would be attractive to potential buyers are the things that really work in scaling. Yes, absolutely. That is so good. I wrote that one down too. You've had so many gems today. I'm like, well, I, you know, well, you've helped me so much as well. I use these episodes as like my own little, I get my own little coaching, my free coaching session from my, from my guests. <laughs> so it's awesome. <laughs> it for sure is possible, whatever it is you do. Can you do me a favor though? Cause you haven't done this. And so now I'm curious, how do you define scalable? What is scaling to you scalable? Cause just so I have that definition. Yeah. So I'm- well, I'll use actually something that you said, which is turning your business from an expert-based business, meaning you as the human, to an expertise-based business, which is a separate asset that can be leveraged. So that means, you know, taking the stuff out of your head and putting it into processes, SOPs, training materials, books, courses, and therefore it can be delivered and you can profit from it without you so that your income is not tied to your time. So we're decoupling your income from your time by becoming an expertise-based business instead of an expert business. Oh, thank you for, I was like, I need her to define it because I'm like, am I literally just blowing smoke up my own honey? No, no. Or am I actually scaling? I'm like, no, based on her definition. You absolutely are. The other thing I'm working on right now is a membership. And so that's a thing too, is like, I have 18 years of content, right? So it's like, I have a library and I have the membership already, but it's like, how do I want people to engage with it and to help people? And so that's also an intuition thing, but thank you for defining that. That's super helpful. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, well, we are going to wrap up. This has been a wonderful conversation, but I want to, before we leave, we believe in creating economy that is works for everyone. And as part of that mission, I like to, Have people share organizations that you admire that are part of that journey of creating an economy that works for more of us. I'm biased. I've already said this, but my very favorite one right now is Black Girl Ventures. They Mm -hmm. are a nonprofit organization that is corporate, you know, like housed in DC. The founder is Shelly Omolade Bell. They help Black and Brown female business owners get access to funding. Black women are starting businesses at six times the rate of any other business starters, Mm -hmm. but get less than 1% of funding. And so it is a nonprofit that I love, but it's also something that really, really matters to me. Women 
Black women having access to funding. You all got some great ideas and I'm excited for what she's doing. And so you can either follow her, you can follow her Omi Bell on Instagram. Yeah, this will all be in the show notes. Yeah, so, yeah. She's amazing. Hopefully, if you're so inspired, you can support either by sharing the organization with others or directly giving funds if you are so inspired. That's fantastic. I love that. And so I know there's something you have an offer for the audience, something that you're working on that you'd like to share with them as well. Yeah. So if you go to my website, simplespirit.com, you will find the intuitive blueprint test. And the Mm -hmm. intuitive blueprint test takes like maybe five minutes to take. At the end of that, you will have results explaining how your intuition works. And if you take it, you will be offered 10 free days of the library. It's full of information about training your intuition. And even 10 days will give you the opportunity to take classes on how to apply your intuition in business. So even if that's all you did and we didn't work together or you didn't engage with any of my other stuff, you could take one class that is about applying intuition to business and that could get you started right away. And that's totally free. Oh, love that. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So you mentioned one place they can find you at your website. Where else can people find you? Where do you hang out? Shoshana French Stokes, my married name. That's on Instagram, Shoshana French on Facebook. That's where you can find me, LinkedIn, Shoshana French. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and intuition with us today. It's been fantastic conversation. I hope we'll do this again. Thank you, Erin. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.